Hi, this is Pam Johnson, continuing my discussion on pancreatic surgery. So I would like to review the currently used surgical techniques here at Hopkins, which include the classic Whipple procedure, pylorus sparing Whipple, central pancreatectomy, distal pancreatectomy, the Appleby procedure, and enucleation. Many of these are being performed both as open surgeries and laparoscopically. So the most widely known is the Whipple procedure, which is either the standard uh, pancreaticoduodenectomy, which includes creation of a hepaticojejunostomy, gastrojejunostomy, and a pancreaticojejunostomy. And in some patients who are amenable, uh, the procedure can be performed sparing the pylorus. So here's a patient who was uh, deemed a candidate for a Whipple procedure, 55-year-old woman with recurrent pancreatitis who was found to have an underlying moderately differentiated adenocarcinoma. As you can see, this is well removed from the vasculature without any evidence of encasement. There was no evidence of metastatic disease. She underwent a pylorus-preserving pancreatic oduodenectomy. So I'd like to review these surgical techniques. Um, amazing illustrations from a paper that we published with the surgeons here at Hopkins in AJR showing the uh, the Whipple procedure as it is performed surgically, beginning with um, dissection of the, of the stomach. It is at this point in the surgery that the surgeon determines whether the patient is amenable to a pylorus sparing procedure. Following this resection, then the pancreas is resected. And then subsequently, the three anastomoses are created, beginning with the pancreaticojejunostomy, several centimeters beyond this, there, the surgeon creates a hepaticojejunostomy, and then at a more at a, a longer distance, either a duodenojejunostomy or a gastrojejunostomy. So this is the configuration that you should recognize in your mind when you're evaluating these patients postoperatively on CT. Moving along to the central pancreatectomy, here's a patient, 71-year-old man with a cystic pancreatic lesion. A patient like this is a candidate for a central pancreatectomy. He underwent uh, pancreatectomy and pancreaticojejunostomy and was found to have IPMN with moderate dysplasia. In this procedure, just the central portion of the pancreas is resected and the uh, the pancreatic neck and anastomosis of the tail are oversewn into either uh, the stomach or a Roux-en-Y limb of jejunum. Important to recognize that because there are two pancreatic suture lines, this procedure carries a high risk of pancreatic fistula. The distal pancreatectomy. These are patients who have tumors in the body and tail of the pancreas. Here's a 49-year-old man with moderately differentiated adenocarcinoma of the pancreatic tail who was treated with distal pancreatectomy and splenectomy. In this surgery, you can see that the resection is performed up at the junction of the body and neck of the pancreas. And in addition to the pancreatic body and tail, the spleen is resected. So I'd like to review with you the Appleby procedure. This is a newer procedure for patients who have vascular involvement that was traditionally deemed unresectable. Here's a man, 64-year-old, with ductal adenocarcinoma of the pancreatic body. He underwent distal pancreatectomy, splenectomy, hepatic artery, and celiac artery resection. And in this surgery, what the surgeon does is 
resects the celiac artery. Please note that this is a, a, a mass in the pancreatic body, not in the pancreatic head. But they resect the pancreatic body and tail. They resect the celiac artery. And the gastroduodenal artery supplies the hepatic artery from the superior mesenteric artery. So again, this would be an, a patient essential to recognize any disease of the SMA preoperatively. Um, so just a quick review. It begins as a standard distal pancreatectomy. The GDA is identified, and the surgeon test clamps the common hepatic artery. Palpation of the pulse in the common hepatic artery confirms the retrograde flow and adequate hepatic perfusion despite resection of the, of the celiac artery. Um, an additional surgical procedure that can be performed in very select cases is a nucleation. This is a 52-year-old woman with a small hypervascular peripancreatic nodule that was suspected to be an insulinoma based on clinical symptoms. So she underwent exploratory laparoscopy and excision, which disclosed an enlarged peripancreatic node. And as shown in this illustration, the surgeon can perform an enucleation of a small lesion such as this, um, but only in select cases. This would not be the surgery for a patient with a cancer. So following surgery, the role of CT is to identify postoperative complications. So it's essential to recognize that there are normal findings on CT, which should not be confused for complications. These include pneumobilia, mesenteric inflammation, and the presence of small nodes. You have to recognize the anastomoses. Um, here's a nice example of the gastrojejunal anastomosis. There is commonly gastrojejunal edema at the anastomosis. This can, tr can contribute to delayed gastric emptying and gastric outlet obstruction, one of the most common complications postoperatively in these patients. It's essential not to confuse unopacified bowel for tumor. Here's a patient, uh, the image on the left, there's what looks like soft tissue, adjacent anterior to the liver, but as you can see in the image on the right, this opacifies with oral contrast and is a bowel loop. This is part of the uh, jejunal anastomosis. It is common to have lymph nodes postoperatively. In this patient, the baseline post-op shows nodes adjacent to the portal vein, which, as you can see on the seven-month follow-up, have decreased in size and were not evidence of residual or recurrent disease. Postoperative stranding is very common. Here's the baseline post-op scan showing stranding around the superior mesenteric artery and vein, which had decreased um, at the seventh-month follow-up scan. I think it's important to take a good look here at the SMV on the initial scan. There's some flattening of the posterior wall. On the follow-up scan, you can see that the vein is round. And what these findings reflect is resolving postoperative edema. This same patient who had stranding and adenopathy actually recurred in the liver. The tumor recurred in the liver at a later date, which supports the fact that the initial findings were benign and not evidence of recurrent or residual disease. In about half of the patients, the surgeon will place a pancreatic duct stent, and in some cases, this will migrate, um, which is really not of any clinical significance, but important for the patient to recognize that the stent is going to be passed. Patients will undergo chemotherapy and radiation, and it's important to recognize findings on CT that reflect 
these therapies. Radiation causes mesenteric inflammation and stranding. It can cause geographic fatty infiltration of the liver, atrophy of the medial kidney if it is in the radiation port, and edema of the gastrojejunostomy. Many patients develop chemotherapy-induced hepatic steatosis. So a couple examples. Here's some stranding in the region of the gastrojejunostomy induced by radiation. Here's a patient with atrophy of the medial right kidney because it is in the radiation port. And here's a patient with chemotherapy-induced hepatic steatosis. In terms of postoperative imaging for identifying complications, the most common complication, as I mentioned, is delayed gastric emptying, which can occur in up to approximately a quarter of the patients. Patients are at risk for developing a pancreatic fistula, especially following central pancreatectomy. This is detected clinically by identifying more than 50 milliliters of amylase-rich fluid within the drainage. On CT, you may see a large collection or the presence of fat necrosis. Other um, complications include wound infection or dehiscence. Here's an example of a patient with delayed gastric emptying. You can see by the retained food in the stomach. And here's a patient with, who was sent from the outside with the diagnosis of a pseudocyst. As we can see, there is some sort of encapsulated collection in the right upper quadrant, but it is not fluid density. In fact, it was fat density, and this is fat necrosis that reflects a pancreatic duct leak. Essential to recognize um, this is not something that's going to be amenable to drainage, and it's indicative of an underlying pancreatic duct leak. Other complications include anastomotic breakdown, which can result in peritonitis, pancreatitis, common bile duct stricture, development of collections including biloma and abscess. And here's a patient with postoperative pancreatitis and a periapatic collection. Um, here's a patient who developed a common bile duct stricture. You can see that the duct is dilated but tapers with no mass um, distally, and this was just caused by stricturing. Here's a paper from radiographics showing the difference between postoperative collection on the left and abscess on the right with peripheral enhancement and both fluid and air within the collections. Postoperative hemorrhage is one of the... Uh, um, worst complications, it occurs in less than 10% of patients, but it accounts for 38% of deaths, according to a paper published in AJR. This can be caused by celiac axis erosion, splenic artery erosion, aneurysm of the inferior pancreatic duodenal artery, or other aneurysms, pseudoaneurysms. I show this one case from the paper because it teaches an important point, and that is that Pseudoaneurysms may not be apparent on the arterial acquisition. In some cases, they do not fill until the venous acquisition. We routinely perform dual-phase imaging on these patients. Pseudoaneurysm is something that you really do not want to miss. And in this case, it's a small pseudoaneurysm. They showed the venous phase image on the left where the aneurysm enhanced, and it was not identified on the arterial phase. Here's a case from our institution just showing a, the similar teaching point. This is much larger and clearly apparent on the arterial phase, but look at the level of enhancement on the arterial phase to the venous phase. The, there's much greater enhancement on the venous phase acquisition. So keep in mind, pseudoaneurysms become, may become increasingly apparent on the venous phase. Other complications, vascular complications, include portal vein thrombosis and splenic infarct. 
So the, the final role of CT in these patients that I'd like to review is post-treatment surveillance for recurrence. Um, here's a paper published in 1997 that showed that patients with positive surgical margins have earlier recurrence. It most commonly occurred in the pancreatic bed, but additionally uh, can arise in the liver in the forms of hepatic metastases, and in 20% of patients, recurrence was in both locations. So this is really where we're looking carefully, in the pancreatic resection site, within the liver, and also within the omentum and the peritoneal cavity. In the pancreatic bed, findings which suggest the presence of recurrence are in development of new soft tissue stranding or mass, new narrowing of the portal vein SMV. Important to recognize that radiation can cause stranding and can even cause narrowing of the vein so you must correlate with whether the patient is currently undergoing radiation and make your interpretation accordingly. In questionable cases, we perform a short-term follow-up. I'd like to show this case showing some very subtle findings that were reflective of disease recurrence. In the image on the left, you can see that the SMV has a very rounded contour. In the image on the right, there is a new subtle narrowing um, in the transverse diameter of the vein. This is one of the earliest findings of recurrent tumor. Um, it can, as I mentioned earlier, it can also be secondary to radiation. Um, in the same patient, if we look coronally, we see the same finding with narrowing of the confluence that is new from the prior examination. Um, so this was worrisome. The patient actually did have a, two additional findings, including an enlarging retroperitoneal lymph node and a new lung nodule. So the constellation of findings was uh, highly suspicious for recurrent disease. So in this um, more recent paper uh, from the World Journal of Gastroenterology, mean recurrence occurred at 12.9 months and was most commonly local in the pancreatic resection site, but also was identified within lymph nodes, level liver, and also in the form of peritoneal carcinomatosis. So as I emphasized previously, we look in the pancreatic resection site, look carefully in the liver, and then carefully inspect the omentum and the peritoneal cavity for metastatic disease. Local recurrence specifically was most commonly in the region of the superior mesenteric artery, but was also identified between the celiac portal vein and IVC, between the SMA portal vein and IVC, and in the region of the hepatic artery. Lymph node recurrence was identified most commonly in the mesenteric root and in the left paraaortic region. And that patient that I showed you previously with the new narrowing of the portal confluence also had um, this lymph node that had enlarged slightly, and you really can see the evidence of enlargement as new flattening of the inferior vena cava posterior to the node, very worrisome for tumor recurrence. Another method of identifying recurrence is measuring the CA19.9. In this paper from 1997, it was shown that the CA19.9 level is much lower in the setting of liver recurrence as compared to local pancreatic bed resection recurrence. Um, and in, in correlating the CT findings with the CA19.9 level 
41% of patients had an elevated CA 19.9 before findings were apparent on the CT between two and nine months pre prior to the CT being abnormal. 47% had an elevated CA 19.9 concurrent with new CT findings in indicating recurrent tumor. And 12% had a normal CA 19.9 in the presence of CT evidence of recurrence. So in conclusion, um, CT has really expanded as an essential component for both preoperative and postoperative management of these patients. Be aware of the new surgical procedures when you're dictating your findings, when you're doing your initial interpretations, because what was traditionally deemed unresectable is no longer. It may be borderline resectable. And following surgery, it's important to recognize normal postoperative findings and distinguish them from complications. Um, on serial imaging postoperatively, look carefully for recurrence in the patterns that I've described here. So thank you very much and have a great day.